Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to the March 2022 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. A proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 284, we visit with Tammy Giuliano, author of Fatal Intent, a medical thriller. When her elderly patients start dying at home days after minor surgery, anesthesiologist Dr. Kate Downey wants to know why. As she comes closer to exposing the culprit's identity, Kate faces professional intimidation, threats to her life, a home invasion, and tragically, the suspicious death of someone close to her. The stakes escalate to the breaking point when Kate, under violent duress, is forced to choose which of her loved ones to save and which must be sacrificed. Steve Barry, New York Times bestselling author, says this about the book. Tense and fulfilling, there's plenty of sizzle and emotional clout in the stirring debut, and even better, it's all written by someone who knows what she's talking about. A wonderful beginning, and I'm looking forward to more. And Kathy Reich's New York Times bestselling author of the Temperance Brennan Bone series says, Medical suspense as sharp as it gets. Juliano is off to a good, no, a brilliant start. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for spending some of your valuable time with us. We very much appreciate it, uh, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author, turned podcaster of books and stories, and love interviewing authors about their books and sharing that uh, with you, the listener. A few quick things to know about the podcast. Uh, You can listen to the podcast wherever you like to get your podcast on all major podcast platforms, but you can also get more at charlottereaderspodcast.com. At our website there, you can get show notes on each episode where we share information about uh, the authors who appear on the show. There's a guest list that shows all the authors with links to their episodes. There is a community blog where authors who've appeared on the show or who've submitted to the podcast can share their wisdom and knowledge about writing and book recommendations. And then we have a community vlog where we do some Facebook live interviews. Uh, If you like video, check that out. And then there's the book report you can sign up for uh, at the podcast website. That's where we share on a monthly basis information about the podcast, what's happening, what's coming. And uh, hey, we won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And if you like uh, audiobooks, check out Libro.fm. We have an affiliation with them because they support independent bookstores. And when you sign up, if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, you're going to get a free audiobook. On the Landis Wade front, check out LandisWade.com. That's where you can find out more about uh, me and my writing. I also have a blog there where I I write about uh, what I've learned uh, from authors and learn about the writing process. It's called Wade Scripts. And we have a newsletter you can sign up for there, uh, the Landis Wade Author Newsletter. And a shameless plug here uh, from the other sponsor of the podcast, uh, that's me. I have a novel. Uh, It's out on ebook now. It's coming out in print uh, on April the 5th. Uh, It's called Deadly Declarations, uh, and it's about an unlikely trio of retirees who set out to solve the mystery of the supposed Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. That is, if they don't die trying. Let's get to the episode. Tammy, welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much, Landis. Yeah, now at the top of the show there, I mean, like, gosh, all those uh, great reviews for your debut novel. That was awesome. Oh, I was very excited to get them. I um, I met most of those authors at Thriller Fest, which is a really great meeting in New York every summer. And uh, my book happened to be coming out during the pandemic, which was unfortunate, but it helped that all these great authors were stuck at home and had nothing better to do than write blurbs for people, I guess. So, so it was yeah. really great. And when you have that kind of success and you get these authors with, with all this clout uh, and millions of books sold, you know, giving you these great feedback, does it put any kind of pressure on you when you write that second book? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really, actually, it's more just the readers. Um, yeah. You know, people will write to me about loving one of the characters and then going, oh my gosh, I got to be true to that character <laughs> in the next book and trying to remember what the voice is like. And yeah, right. it's, it's fun though. Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoy the novel. I told you that, I think, when I emailed you. Uh, it's an interesting plot. It's got great pace, lots of tension. You know, I just, I, I kind of zipped through it um, and, and just really a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So um, starting off here, um, I poked around a little bit. You describe yourself as a personality split by day and night. By day, you're, you're Tammy Giuliano, MD, a professor of anesthesiology and obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Florida where you care for patients, teach medical students and residents, perform research and invent cool stuff, as you say. You've had uh, numerous teaching awards, more than 100,000 views on your YouTube teaching videos, and you were featured in a calendar of women inventors. Um, so here's the question. I mean, how in the wild world of medicine did an anesthesiologist write a debut novel doing all that? It's uh, It was a very full few months, years, yes. And, yeah. and it evolved, right? So when I started, I was doing it while I was doing all those other things. And then uh, somewhere around when my oldest was about to head to college, I realized I didn't really love parts of my job and I really wanted more time to write. And so I, I did a little pivot. I'm still working, but I, I don't, I, I sort of got off the administration track. I wasn't, it didn't play to my strengths and it, it was a uh, sort of soul sucking. So, so yeah. I got rid of those parts of my job and, uh, and yeah, then I found some time. Sounds a little bit like a uh, you know trial lawyer who decides after thirty five years to <laughs> start a podcast and write novels. There you go. So um, you know, a bit tongue in cheek, you describe your choice in medicine this way. You said, "I decided to pursue anesthesiology and the obstetric anesthesia because a good job in the main operating room means the patient doesn't remember you, while in OB, a good job means the patient names their child after you." Now, I noticed that you brought the same sense of humor even to the dark pages of a novel. Is that sort of part of your DNA to add a little humor to what you're doing? It is. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's uh, it can get dark. And so right. you need some levity to, to lighten it up. It is hard to figure out the balance, though, because when the dark things are happening in the book, um, trying to decide whether that's an appropriate time to throw in something light or not is is challenging. And in the real world, um, there's certainly times where I don't add any humor to our, uh, you know, traumas in the mm -hmm. operating room or whatever. Right. But but it definitely makes the day go smoother if there's uh, if everybody's not taking everything so seriously. Yeah, and I think you do it in, in some subtle ways in the book with uh, the older character who's kind of pushing. Dr. Kate, you know, with, with her jabs here and there to kind of get, get going, get your, get your life in order and that kind of thing. Um, all right. So um, I sometimes look up authors on their web pages, even though I've got all this information on you. And I, I was surprised. I went to your resources page and it was not what I thought I would find. 
on an author webpage. It was living will and advanced directives. <laughs> so you just can't get the doctor out of you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of the themes in the book. And, right. and um, I like to add some information where I can. And I think it's a very important thing for everyone to follow through with. Yeah. I want to make it easy. Exactly. And you, you provided some great information. And, you know, I, I do that as well when I'm advising my family to get these things signed, get all this stuff done. But in your case, um, it does play into the theme of your book because, um, you know, the main character, Dr. Kate Downey, you know, when the book opens, uh, you find out that uh, her husband uh, is in a coma and uh, there weren't any advanced directives in his case, which adds a lot of, you know, decision making. To, to her on the one hand, and also to the brother, um, not her brother, but his brother, and conflict. So having those directives, I suppose, helps eliminate some of those issues? Absolutely. I mean, legally, the spouse is the decision maker, but there's always people with their own opinions. And if it's not clear what the patient wants, then then you're making your, my husband's the same way. He says, oh, you're a doctor, you take care of it, it'll be fine. And I said, well, you know, I can, but what if the kids disagree with me? Then they're mad at me, as opposed to me saying, no, this is what dad wants, he wrote it down, right? So, so it is so important and, and it is something we see on a daily basis. And I thought it was um, sort of a service, but also interesting to me to put the characters together. And, and it, not that there's a right answer, just that there's different, different right. approaches. And I think the right answer is to make it as clear as possible before yeah. you're in that position. Yeah, no, it's good that you provide that information. Now, we talked about by day, by night, you said you play games with your family, you play tennis badly, you cuddle your dogs, you read, and you write medical thrillers. So what are you reading right now, Tammy? What am I reading right now? Yeah. Um, I actually just started the book uh, Speaking About Race because I wanted to learn okay. how to do that better. Um, and I just finished, uh, what was it? Oh, um, Harry Bosch's, the, the latest Bosch uh, from Michael Connolly. Yeah. And the, so the, the TV shows hadn't caught up with the novels yet, right? No. Well, they're done. <laughs> Very they sadly, they're done. Uh, but hopefully they'll move on and do the Renee Ballard series now that, yeah. now that they're done with Bosch. Yeah. So do, do you enjoy reading mystery uh, uh, and thrillers and that kind of thing? And does that inspire your own writing? It does. I, I want to spend more time going, oh, I love the way they painted this scene or described this, but I get so absorbed in the story that I forget to pay right. attention. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I've got certain authors that I you know read the day their book comes out, and then uh, I just love reading. I, I read a little bit more widely, but, uh, but mostly mysteries and thrillers. Yeah. And one of the things you say that, that you enjoy in your writing is you're intrigued by the ethically blurry topics and you enjoy positioning characters on all sides of the debate. And you try to put their well-reasoned uh, views in there so that the reader also is trying to sort of struggle with, you know, which side am I on in that case? And you did that uh, to some extent in this book. You, you want to talk about that? I, I just think that we tend to pick a side and, and not necessarily listen to the other side. And I find it really fascinating to, to try to get in the mind of, of somebody with a differing opinion. And I, I'm challenged by it like everybody. But in this particular case, I really don't have a firm opinion about how we should end life. And, um, and it was fun trying to figure out how somebody with very different upbringing than I um, would, would approach the 
the question. Um, one of my other books that I have yet to get published is about infertility. And if we came up with a way to let people choose to have a baby instead of choose not to have a baby, um, how would you do that if it was um, a treatment? Would you make mm. people prove that they can raise a kid before you let them do it? Would you ask them twice, right? Not just the uh, the kid on their um, first date who makes a mistake kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to try and go from a, a Catholic background to a extremely logical background. Um, so it, I, I find it fascinating and, and enjoyable. And, and I, I try very hard not to put in any of my own biases and, and try mm. to have um, appropriate words from each side. Yeah. And so while I'm reading this, you know, it is, it is a thriller. There's a mystery involved. Uh, you, you relate to this character, but you're also, uh, you know, assessing in your own mind this question of, okay, if someone's reached a point in their life and they're really in, struggling, they're in pain, there's no way, you know, legally um, to deal with that. Uh, but somebody in your book, uh, you know, wearing a black hat has figured out a way That's right. to, to do that, which is which is what it's all about and in the whole uh, struggle here. Uh, before we go further um, with this, I just want to let our listeners know that we're going to jump over to Patreon when this is over, and we're going to talk about the topic of writing medical fiction, uh, one author's journey, uh, because there's a lot of, you know, uh, interesting, uh, you know, ways you can go with this. Um, and you can do that if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Rose Podcast. You can find out more about it at the website. Uh, you can help us uh, with supporting authors and also get some exclusive content. So having done that little commercial, Tammy, let me just uh, go to the first line of the book. And it says, I dreaded weekends. And then a few lines later, weekends brought spare time, the enemy of all who grieve. So we learn right away that Dr. Kate Downey, your protagonist, was married but her husband is in a coma. She's grieving. And with all that going on, something else begins to happen. Her patients start dying. Um, now, before you read the openings, uh, some of the opening scene, which you can do here in just a minute, um, talk about why you made this a part of this character story. you got a lot of conflict in here anyway, right? So this is another, I don't know if you'd call it a subplot, but it's definitely part of the, the plot here. It certainly resulted in a bit of personal and family conflict. Um, did this come to you right away? Is this something you went back and thought, I've got to add a little more to this character? Or was this just part of the character's bio going into this whole thriller? That's a good question. I think from the very beginning, I wanted there to be a very personal angle to it. I hadn't originally decided it would be her husband. I thought it could be just someone she's close to or even something from her past that she'd experienced, but, um, but that part came in very early. Mm, yes, that's good. Well, look, um, on Charlotte's podcast, we have authors give voice to the written words. You've got a little scene you're going to read here from, I think it's the first chapter in the book. I think the second scene in the first chapter. So um, I don't know if there are any names you need to set up that uh, happened earlier uh, than that, but uh, if you've got a setup, do that and then just take it away. Um, okay. So Kate um, has gone to church with her great aunt, and during mass, she, uh, they pray for a couple of people who've died. And it turns out she recognizes both names and they are patients she took care of the week before. Outside, the cool morning breeze contrasted with the warm church and helped regain my balance. 
My chairman's call early Thursday morning had come as a surprise. There were any number of faculty he could have asked to cover his VIP case, pretty much all with less baggage than I, yet he'd called. I fractured my hip on my son's skateboard yesterday, he'd said. Word to the wise, don't try to jump a garden hose. Unable to work clinically while taking painkillers, he asked me to take care of Dr. O'Donnell, president of the university during my freshman year. In such a small town, the university president's fame was second only to the football and basketball coaches. And now he was dead. On my phone, I checked the medical record system. The last note in Dr. O'Donnell's chart was his discharge from the recovery room on Thursday evening. I scrolled back in the OR schedule and said a word one should not say on church property. Dorothy McRae had been my patient as well the day before Dr. O'Donnell. Maybe it was a different Dorothy McRae. I leaned back against the brick exterior of St. Mark's. Two Dorothy McRae's with connections to Newberry, Florida, who underwent minor surgery last week. Nice try. It was her. Had to be. Two of my patients had died. Having a patient die is never good. Having two die in quick succession is awful. Having two die in rapid succession when you're on probation? That warranted another unholy expletive. No choice. I had to call my chairman. Kate, thought I might hear from you, Dr. James Worrell said. What could I say to that? I saw the paper this morning about Dr. O'Donnell, he continued. Does it say what happened? Do you know? The paper blames a long illness. You know how lethal those can be. I should have admitted him. From the records, it looked like he was doing fine. Worrell had checked the chart. Of course he had. He'd taken care of Dr. O'Donnell multiple times in the past. I cursed his garden hose. But if I'd kept him... It was two days later. You couldn't have kept him that long. He had a point, one I wanted to cling to, but there was more. I cleared my suddenly dry throat. Another patient from last week died, Dorothy McRae. She had an uneventful G-tube placement on Wednesday. I took care of her, too. That brought a less committal, hmm. I just found out this morning. She looked fine in the recovery room, but had multiple sclerosis. A keyboard clicked in the background. Neither of them died on your watch. I know you're worried about the probation review, but if there are any questions, I've got your back. All my anesthetics were subject to review, my job at stake. Could I hope those two charts wouldn't be selected? But both cases had gone fine. Should I tell Dr. Walker up front, I asked? The chief of staff was not particularly fond of me. Of course not, James said. Why look for trouble? If it comes up, I'll take care of it. Tears threatened. I didn't try to talk. I disappointed the chief of staff once and was still paying for it nearly a year later. This kind of thing might not be uncommon, James said. Unless our care was implicated, we'd never know about delayed complications. This is a pretty big complication. I don't disagree, but these are end-of-life type cases. This could be a common occurrence. Common occurrence, really? It's true we rarely follow patients once they leave the recovery room. With eight or ten patients a day, it would rapidly become impossible. But the reassurance of that thought immediately felt wrong. Why should knowing other patients likely died be reassuring? Thanks, James. Kate, are you okay? This is not your fault. He emphasized the last words. I'm fine. Hopefully the lilt I added sounded far less fake than it felt. This was not on me. Hey, a new mantra. A little pathetic compared to carpe diem, but my days had a habit of seizing back lately. Still, common occurrence or not, I would find out why my patients died. Yeah, this this is just a good example of why you pull the reader in and want us to uh, you know turn to chapter two and see what's going to happen. But uh, th this uh, there's a lot packed into this uh, first 
chapter as all good first chapters have in them. And, you know, this idea that you've got elderly patients, they're dying at home a few days later after some minor surgery, uh, you know, one, you know, you got your director of the department here saying, you know, that's natural causes or, you know, it's a delayed complication or something. Uh, we start to find out she's worried about maybe malpractice, uh, Later, she's worried about a serial killer. <laughs> but I guess my question is, you know, as a lawyer, and I write legal thrillers, and I have to go back and do a little research myself sometimes. To, to um, How did this idea come to you? And did, was it something that you had experienced, this discussion with delayed complications? Or did you have to go sort of do some deep research? Because you based this on some true, you know, medicine to get to the heart of what was going on here. Uh, talk about that a little bit, you know, where the what if came from and how much research you had to do. Well, I knew I wanted it to be about how can you end life in a compassionate way. And then it sort of morphed into how can you do it in a not compassionate way, <laughs> um, but fake it to be compassionate and, and right. keep it a secret, right? Because, you right. know, the Jack Kevorkian sort of story that, that right. even though some might argue he was doing something good, he wasn't doing it in a legal way or maybe not even a good way. Um, and so coming up with the actual mechanisms were um, – that was just sort of fun, which <laughs> I know is terrifying that you would – have a doctor thinking about such things, but, and I've had questions about, could you really do that? Right. And um, my, my assumption is no, but, um, but I tried to make it as realistic as possible. Um, you know, the, the actual mechanism doesn't exist, but could. That's, that's a little bit scary, Tammy. <laughs> it is, it is, but I always, when I read, you know, I'm willing to have some suspension of disbelief, but only right. to a point. And particularly right. when it's something I know about, if they do things that are so far-fetched that it makes no sense to me, then then it, it takes me out of the story. So I wanted it to be possible. Yeah. Well, talk, uh, talk about uh, Dr. Kate Downey. Um, she, she's fun to hang out with. You know, you're sort of pulling for her as she goes through this. Um, you, you put a lot on her early, which is good because you're making the protagonist have to work the way out of you know, all these issues. Is there a little bit of uh, Dr. Tammy Giuliano in this particular character? Yeah, I think all debut authors do that to an right. extent. I, I yeah. don't know if you did with your yeah. with yeah. your lawyers, but but it started out as very much me maybe 30 years earlier in my career. And um, and then she evolved in such fascinating ways. It's it's so interesting to me. And people had told me it would happen and I thought they were crazy. But the, the person, the character takes on a life of their own I mean, to the point where I say, and then Kate does this. And in the back of my head, Kate says, no, I don't. <laughs> you might do that, but I wouldn't. And and so it's really fun to see how they, they really develop a whole three-dimensional yeah. world. It's it's crazy magic, isn't it? I mean, I just don't understand how it happens sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And one of my favorite things is when I do get stuck, I'll have her write me a letter about, you know, and, and all of a sudden things from her past will come out that I go, Oh, how cool is that? I never want to. And it just seems to flow directly from some part of my brain that I don't have control over. Yeah, exactly. So one of the obstacles that uh, Dr. Kate Downey faces is the hospital administration, you know, refusing to back her up. I believe you mentioned Dr. Walker in the early, you know, should I go to him? And, he, and her, her, her protege says, no, no, don't do that. Don't, don't go to him yet. Uh, and I suppose this can be kind of a real world phenomenon between, you know, administrators and doctors. You've been on both sides of it. Um, and I'm just curious as to how much, uh, 
of that tension actually does exist in the workplace or how much uh, is this just good fiction fun taking place? In my personal experience, it's just good fiction fun. And I actually regret the choice of his name. I wasn't thinking, but there was a Dr. Walker who was the chief of staff at my hospital and he was wonderful. So I, maybe he won't read it. <laughs> um, but I have witnessed others in very challenging situations between the administration and, and physicians. And it's, it's no, no surprise that the administration is more about dollars and cents than then we as, well, fortunately in academia, we, we're on salary. It doesn't matter how many cases I do or, or whether my patients pay or not, I get the same amount of money. So, so it's a little different than the real world. Um, but, but there's definitely a tension there that can exist. Um, I've been blessed with great chief of staffs who are very much supportive. Um, but the story here is not out of the realm of possibility. Mm. Now, you set it in a hospital, a good place, because that's where most of these uh, operations take place. Uh, did you try to be as true to life as you could, as you knew it, uh, in a hospital setting? I did. And many people recognize it as the hospital I work at, which it absolutely is not. It just happens to be in a very <laughs> <Sure>. near place. <laughs> exactly. that the same. Disclaimer, and... <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So doing, I'm sure it's same in legal thrillers, trying to be true to the events and use the right terminology, but then not exclude people who don't understand that terminology. But if I use the wrong words, then people in medicine who read it go, well, you would never say it that way. And so, so that's why I added the Jen character, who's a medical student, who it would be logical to use normal English with her in explaining medical facts. Um, but all of the facts are accurate and, and the scenario how the OR works. And it's so funny to have people criticize it and say, they wouldn't answer the phone in the operating room. Well, of course we answer the phone in the operating room. We're not all scrubbed in or different right. things that they've seen on TV that are just so wildly inaccurate that they assume that's accurate and mine isn't. So that, yeah. that's been fun trying to educate people. Yeah. You mentioned disclaimer, disclaimer. So actually my, uh, my novel, Deadly Declarations, releases an ebook today, March 1st. And Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. But there's a scene, you know, it's a 65-year-old lawyer who gets kicked out of his, you know, really large law firm. And I had to put a little disclaimer in the back. That's not the firm I worked at for 35 years. <laughs> you know, right. But but it's, it's a big firm. <laughs> a lot goes on. And I said, you know, I didn't tackle my managing partner like this guy did in, <laughs> in the book, you know. But, uh, but you do, you do, uh, and, and it's noticeable here, um, Tammy, when you look at the reviews, I mean, like Lee Child talks about done that authenticity and, uh, another reviewer talks about searingly realistic and, uh, another thrillingly, um, thrilling authenticity. And, and I found that too. I, you know, look, I don't, know what you do as an answer. What I know about you is when I'm getting my colonoscopy, the last thing I see is a blurry face pat, pat me on the shoulder, right? <laughs> but, the, you know, it was really interesting to see uh, how much more goes on behind the scenes in the life of an anesthesiologist. And, you know, I enjoy reading those kind of books because it's educational to some extent and it's wrapped up in a story. Do you also enjoy that when you find a book or or a character in a particular, you know, profession that you're not that familiar with? Absolutely. And you you have to trust that the author did their research and that it's a realistic representation. And, and sometimes you can read the reviews to find that out or you look at their their history, right? So you writing right. a legal thriller is right. trustworthy, but right. you know, you have to trust others. So so yeah, I I love learning more about 
um, other fields and and yeah. hobbies. And I, I always am talking to my patients about what they do when they're not having a baby because yeah. that's what I do mostly. And uh, and I just learned so much about such neat opportunities that I haven't explored yet. Yeah, speaking of as we shift to a few writing life questions, um, you know, when you when you send your manuscript into your publisher and you've got your editors working on it. I presume they're not, uh, you know, skilled in medicine. And so they may not know whether some of this is accurate or not. Did you also try to pull in some readers that have some medical uh, experience to make sure that uh, you weren't missing some things? I, I did. Um, I've got several people who who helped me with reading it. Um, but actually, my publisher happens to be a family practitioner, a retired oh, really? family practitioner. So so she gets all that stuff. She, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the book cover, uh, dark hues, uh, creates some dark suspense. There's an empty hospital bed. Um, did you have any input on the cover? Or did you just look at it and go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So they sent me the first version and it was red instead of blue. Ooh. And I was not crazy about it. And I said, you know, that's not really an operating room right. and an ICU. Yeah, maybe, but whatever. And, um, and so they, they did something different and it, and then I sent it to a bunch of friends and they said, no, the first one's right. It's just the wrong color. And so I asked them to switch it to blue and I love it. It just came out yeah. fantastic. I have very little artistic ability. So, uh, so I'm completely dependent on the, the name too came, um, was not what I had called it when I was writing it, but they, they helped a lot with that. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I think the name fatal intent is perfect. I was just wondering if, you know, it wasn't already taken because it looked to be too perfect. <laughs> well, yeah. So I wanted to call it Do No Harm. That's what I called it for the seven years I was writing it. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a perfect title. But then when you look on Amazon, there's 30 books called Do No Harm and a movie. Okay. And so that was their argument was that was too common. And there are a couple other books called Fatal Intent, but they're, um, one just came out actually recently. Um but far fewer than do no harm. Yeah. And listeners, just so you know, you, you can't copyright a title. So, you know, everybody can use it. It's just a matter of whether you're going to use it. If they're like, you said, like Tammy said, there's 30 other ones. Yeah. yeah I was actually listening to a, a podcast about that the other day. They said you probably couldn't use the Da Vinci Code or one of those titles that's very unusual and specific and extremely successful. But yeah. for the most part, you can't, you can use whatever you want. Yeah, well, that would be kind of silly to try to use that. <laughs> think, think of the feedback you'd get yeah, exactly. from those years. Uh, all right, storytelling techniques. You chose first-person point of view. Um, uh, obviously, you're getting into the head uh, of this character. Did you consider third-person and getting in the heads of the evildoers at any point in time? That's a really good question. So when I wrote it the first time, I had three points of view. I had Kate's, and I had the bad guy, and I had um, Christian, her her. Mm -hmm colleague and um and because i was doing all the craft stuff learning all this stuff and learned about head hopping and one chapter per person and it doesn't have to be alternating all three and um somebody suggested because i was still learning how to do close third person and someone suggested just try writing a couple scenes in first person and see if that works better and oh my gosh it just made a huge difference it wasn't just a matter of changing all the Kates and she's to I, it was, uh, it was a completely different approach to me. Yeah. So, um, it, so really yeah, is, it, was, it, it really is a different approach. I mean, you find yourself, uh, having to, you know, still stay in her head and, and kind of try to reveal what the other characters are thinking through their actions and their dialogue, uh, and maybe their reactions to what she says. 
Uh, it can be a little harder sometimes to do that uh, than maybe third person close, but I think it does help you get into the, and in a book like this, I think it's really good because she doesn't know what's down those stairs if she walks down those stairs, right? Right, right. And actually, I had somebody say, you know, we, we don't know how this happened, how those people got to that location. And I right. said, but you can't know because right. Kate doesn't know. Right. And it, it would be wrong for me to show that scene unless right. I was doing that intermittently throughout the book. So so it did eliminate a bunch of clues and scenes and you have to figure out how she's going to learn this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was challenging, but it was a great exercise. Yeah. Well, you really, I mean, look, you came out of the gate uh, with uh, some sharp prose here and, and you know, t- page turning. And, the, and the, the question that I sometimes get from people who talk about, well, how, you know, has a lawyer become a writer? How does a doctor become a writer? Um, did you take courses? Did you kind of immerse yourself in that craft a little bit and try writing some other things before you wrote this? Um, no, I did start with this, um, but like I said, very quickly realized that it did not sound like the books I read. And right. so I did, um, I went on Amazon and said, oh, I'll just get a writer book. How many can there be? Ha ha. There's like thousands. <laughs> and um, and so I just went with, you know, what's the top review of a mystery, you know, how to write a mystery. And I ended up with K.M. Whalen's How to Plot a, a Mystery. And I basically went page by page and followed her instructions and ended up with a, a book. It wasn't a good book. Um, but yeah, I've taken some classes. There's so much craft to learn out there. Um, and it's, for me, I'm still learning in medicine. You're always learning in medicine. But to start over with something completely new and use a different part of my brain was, um, I don't know, it was it was really interesting and fun. And yeah. so, yes, I've taken a lot of classes. And then when I was struggling to get this published, I did go back and start writing some short fiction. And, uh, and that's a completely different challenge, but very related and, and a great exercise. And so I, I finally had some success getting some of that published, which made me decide that maybe I could do this and, and went back to it. Now, did you go the agent route or did you submit to a, a smaller publisher? How did that work for you? I went the agent route a lot and got a lot of rejections. And, um, and then I just serendipity, I offered to be the moderator for a panel at BoucherCon, which is a big mystery conference. And on that panel was um, the person who publishes, Pat Gusson, who um, is the publisher, owns the publishing company. And so normally they only take agented or invited um, submissions. But while we were there, I said, you know, I've got this manuscript. She says, oh, just send it to me. Let's see. And And then... It happened. That's great. You bypassed the process because you were out there supporting other writers. You were helping others and it kind of serendipitously, as you say, you found your, your way into that. I'm still trying to get an agent for, for another book that they don't, it's not in their wheelhouse. Um, So I, I still would like to have an agent, but I love that I didn't, uh, that I was able to get a traditional publishing route just because I don't, really have the as much interest in learning about that part, the self-publishing. Well, I was scrolling through my sisters in crime, uh, you know, newsletter this morning. And I saw that uh, your sequel, Misfire, another medical mystery thriller featuring Dr. Kate Downey, you know, sold. And uh, you're going to, that's going to be coming out at some point, I guess. In January, mm-hmm. in, a whole in, another year. Uh, a whole nother year. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, how was that process? Did you start writing that book while this book uh, was being marketed? Um, 
or when you I should have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually working on a different book. And then after this one was about to come out, they said, you know, we're going to expect the other one, you know, to publish a year later. And, and so I decided to start working on it and it took a while to figure it out. And then when I got it to them in September, it was already going to be a whole nother year. You know, it's a 15 month process. I thought it would be a quicker process since I was already sort of in the queue, but, but no, no. Um, that's just yeah. not how publishing works. I got you. Well, um, in, in doing that process, um, you stayed with your protagonist. Um, what is Kate Downey exploring in this sequel? So, so it's really you know, that sort of Cabot Cove syndrome, right? Where how much bad can happen in one hospital? I was really sort of challenged yeah. by that because I wanted it to be realistic and how realistic. Anyway, um, so in this one, there is uh, obviously some more mayhem and, uh, and bad things happening. And it's, uh, it's more related to some medical technology gone awry. Mm, okay. Well, uh, I asked this question of authors who've written uh, more than one book. You now qualify for that. Uh, what have you learned in this process, uh, Tammy, that uh, had you known it when you first started writing Fatal Intent uh, might have helped you? The big thing I've had to go back to is um, is make a series Bible. I, I didn't think about the fact that I would forget so much, especially since Fatal Intent went through, I mean, literally 50 versions. Try, I, I thought I would always remember what I left in, but, but inevitably remember scenes that you ended up not actually putting in the book. And so then when you write the next one, you go, oh, wait, did I put that in there or not? So, um, so I had to go back recently and, and make a series Bible about what kind of car do they drive and what sex is a dog that doesn't have a, a clearly female or male name and you know things that when I read, I notice when people make those mistakes. And so I wanted to be very careful about that. So that's something I would have done differently as I would have, uh, have done that immediately after I ended up with the final version. Yeah, that, that is a good uh, you know, tip there. Um, it, it's also helpful to do that uh, for your narrator of your audiobook. I've done that recently for the narrator who's doing our audiobook, And I didn't realize that I had 26 or 30 different characters that you know, we're, now some of them had very small parts, right? But and so the main ones you can really cover what you need to cover. But it's good because you'll forget, you know, some things later on in the book. And uh, I know it's probably hard for you to do an interview about Fatal Intent when you've been writing, you know, the second book <laughs> already and get them confused. But uh, well, look, uh, listeners, we're going to jump over to Patreon now uh, and talk about writing medical fiction. Uh, with Tammy Uliano, you can join us there. Just check that out. Tammy, listen, I want to thank you for uh, writing the book, getting in this, trying something new, uh, reinventing yourself in your third act, and also being on Charlotte Rivers Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, 
please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.